This morning, I invite you to open your Bible. I hope that you have your copy of God's Word and find the book of Romans and follow along with us as we're in this rich book by the pen of the Apostle, preserved by the Holy Spirit for our instruction and encouragement in our faith and part of the inspired Word of God. You can receive a copy of the book of Romans if you'd like with a journaling pages to follow along if you'd like. They're like $5. They're out in the foyer. You can pick them up. It's just a handy way to read through Romans multiple times and take notes, and, uh, and I think you'll find that a great blessing. Now, if you find your copy of God's Word in Romans chapter number 1, we're going to begin with verse number 1 today. We introduced this great and wonderful book last week. Remember, this is written by the Apostle Paul. He is writing to uh, uh, the church that is in Rome. He is writing from the city of Corinth. He's on his way to Jerusalem to deliver a uh, love offering to the uh, impoverished in Jerusalem. He's there looking forward to that visit. He's asking for their prayer as he's going to make that visit. He's sharing with them in this wonderful book his intentions and plan to come and see them, his desire to be encouraged by them and to be an encouragement to them. He's longing to teach them and preach among them and to have spiritual fruit among them. He's never visited the church in Rome, and so he has full intentions and longing to do so. He's writing to the believers, both Jews and Gentiles, that make up the church there in Rome. And he's writing a word to encourage them. He wants to lay out for them the gospel that he preaches. And uh, he's asking for the soliciting their prayers, telling them of the, his travel plans. He's intending to go to Spain. He wants to stop in Rome, minister among them. They might support him and help him as he goes on to his missionary endeavors in the uh, plan, to, plan to Spain. So this is part of the writing of this wonderful book, but we find in it one of Paul's greatest statements about what the gospel is all about and the essential core of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now find with me chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was a descendant of David, according to the flesh, was appointed to be powerful Son of God, according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the Gentiles, including you who are called by Jesus Christ to all who are Rome, loved by God, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Father in heaven, I pray that today as we look into your word together, Father, we want to hear you. We want to learn of you. Lord, we ask that you would encourage us in our faith. Holy Spirit of God, we ask you to convict us of our sin, convince us of the truth, 
lead us to repentance and a more consecrated walk with you. Father, help us to abandon our sin, to hate it, and to love you more. Father, today, as we look at the life of Paul in this letter, we know that these truths are written for us today. And so, Father, we ask you speak to us. We're listening. Father, may we set aside the things that are distracting us now. You know what they are. And in these few moments, help us to listen to you. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look at this passage of Scripture, I've entitled today's message, Paul and His Gospel. As we look at this passage of Scripture, Paul talks about his identity. And the first question that he's really answering is, who am I to write to you? Why am I writing to you? And who am I that I have authority or the credentials to write to you? And what are my credentials? And would you look with me to verse number one? It says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. So we're just going to walk through this verse together. What does he say his first credential is? Number one, he says, I am a servant of Christ Jesus. He said, I am first and foremost a servant. He, the word that is used here is literally the, wor- literally the word slave. He says, I am a slave of Jesus Christ. Now in Rome, uh, over half of the resident citizens in Rome were slaves. And so you can just imagine in the church, there would be many of them in the church that were slaves. And so they hear Paul say, first thing, hey, I'm a slave too, and I'm a slave to Jesus Christ. Now, Paul wasn't a literal slave, but he was a slave to Jesus Christ. You see, Paul was a rabbi. Paul was well-educated, well-trained, a family of influence, a full Roman citizen. And so Paul could have said, I'm writing to you as a free citizen, a full Roman citizen. I'm writing to you, Romans. I, too, am a Roman citizen. I, have, I am free. No, that's not what he says. He could have written about all of his accomplishments, all of his writings, all the degrees that he had earned. But no, that wasn't the compelling thing that Paul wanted them to know. He said, first and foremost, I am a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is my Lord, my master, and my king. He owns me. He he is responsible. I am responsible to him, and I love him, and he is, I am his. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, Paul reminds us that you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Did you know you've been bought with a price? And that price was the precious blood of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 says, you were redeemed. You weren't redeemed with silver or gold or perishable things like that, but you've been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. Like... You, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. You have been bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He poured out his life for you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, listen to what Paul says. The love of Christ constrains us, compels us, since we have reached this conclusion that one died 
and those uh, that, that, that one died and well, this, do I have this text on the screen? No, I don't. Okay. That, 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 that one died for all and, 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 and because we are dead to our own life and we have a new life in Christ Jesus. Listen, Paul said, it's the love of Christ that constrains us. It constrains me. It has a hold of me. It's laid a hold of me. And it compels me and it drives me and it moves me. It's, it's the love of God that I've experienced in Jesus Christ. Wow. He says, I'm under Christ's authority. I'm held captive by his love. Here's one thing that you must fully understand as we read this book. Paul was in love with Jesus Christ. Are you all awake this morning? He is in love with Christ. Jesus had changed his life. Jesus had laid a hold of his heart and his motive and his missions and his values and his purpose was bound up in the love of God in Jesus Christ. He says, I serve him. I'm his servant. I'm his slave. I serve a risen Savior who's in the world today. I know that he is living, whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he's always near. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and he talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives. He lives. Salvation to impart. You ask me? How I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Listen, this is exactly what old Paul was saying. He said, he lives in me. He's changed me. And I'm his servant. Not only that, I've been called to serve. I've been called to serve. Jesus came to serve. Jesus said the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Jesus said the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to deacon, to serve, to give his life a ransom for many. True believers see themselves as servants, not to be served, but to serve. And we serve a risen Savior. Second identification and credential that he gives us in verse number one called as an apostle. Paul said, I am not only a servant, I'm an apostle. He says, I am apostle. Now, the apostle means sent. The word apostle means a sent one. The word apostle carries the idea of a delegate, a commissioned messenger, a representative, somebody who's divinely commissioned. Cranfield, in his uh, commentary, wonderful commentary on Romans, says it is an humble but authoritative declaration. I'm apostle, that is an authority, but I'm a servant. I'm sent, but I'm sent by the one in authority. My message has authority to it, not because of myself, but because of the one that sent me. Folks, we have a message, but the message comes from the one in authority, and that is God himself. Now here, 
the Apostle Paul is also making a case that he is not just one cent like a missionary, that's what all of us are, but he is a special category of apostle, and that is the apostles that are described in the Gospels. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 10, the first couple of verses, you see that Jesus has his disciples with him. And among those disciples, or earlier followers of Jesus, he calls them apostles. Now notice he gives them special authority that he doesn't give to just everyone. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 1, summoning his 12 disciples, he gave them authority over unclean spirits to drive them out and heal every disease and sickness. Now these are the names. Now listen, it switches from disciples to apostles. Verse 2, the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who's called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, and he goes on and lists the other 12. Here, he is calling them, and they are identified as apostles. In Luke's gospel, chapter number 6, Luke's gospel, chapter 6, something very similar, if you find in Luke chapter 6, beginning with verse number 12. Luke 6, 12. It says, During those days he went out to the mountain to pray and spent all night in prayer. And when daylight came, he summoned his disciples. There's the word followers, learners, disciples. And he chose 12 of them. Handpicked, divinely appointed, 12. And he named them what? Apostles. This is a special category within the followership the followers of Jesus Christ. Notice in Acts, whenever that early church is trying to decide what to do, because Judas has killed himself, he was one of the twelve, and now they need a replacement for Judas. And so what is the qualification for those that might be an apostle? They need another one to fill his place. And so in, in, in Acts chapter number 1, it says, it says, let someone else take his position, verse 20. Therefore, from among the men who have accompanied us during the whole time, the Lord went out in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us. From among these, it is necessary that one become a witness with us of his resurrection." A qualification for being an apostle is that they knew Jesus, were taught by Jesus, and witnessed the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, the physical resurrection of Jesus. They saw him raised from the dead, and Matthias is chosen. The lot falls to him to replace Judas. Now, Paul sees himself and argues that he, too, is an apostle. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1, Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Yes, he did see Jesus. He was like one untimely born. He met him on the road to Damascus and had a personal encounter with the resurrected Lord Jesus. He was taught by him, and he exercised authority as the other apostles did as well in his teaching ministry and the miracles that God performed through him. 2 Corinthians chapter number 12, beginning with verse number 11. You have your Bible. 2 Corinthians 
chapter 12, verse 11. Notice he says, I have been a fool. You forced it on me. You ought to have commended me since I'm not in any way inferior to those superior super apostles, even though I am nothing. The signs of an apostle were performed with unfailing endurance among you, including signs and wonders and miracles. Paul said, I know that I am an apostle. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2, in verse number 13. Listen to what Paul says. 1 Thessalonians 2, in verse number 13. This is why we constantly thank God, because when you receive the word of God that you heard from us, You welcomed it, not as a human message, but as it truly is, the Word of God, which also works effectively in you who believe. Paul said, when I preach and when I teach, it's the Word of God. And when I write, it's the inspired Word of God. Paul was an apostle. So this is what he's trying to do. I have a definition of apostle here, and I'll put it on the screen. An apostle is one chosen and sent with a special mission as fully authorized representatives of the sender. And so I I don't know if I have that. I don't have that quote on here. Okay. So Paul is an apostle, and he is equal to one of the twelve. Now, we are all ambassadors. We're all missionaries. And uh, yet, he is an apostle in a special sense. Now, listen to me. This is important. The Bible says the church is built on the foundation of the prophets and the what? Apostles. There aren't more apostles. Yes, there are missionaries with missionary gifts that are ambassadors and emissaries, and and they go into the world preaching as missionaries. But there's only 12 apostles. And the foundation of the church has been laid, and the foundation is not expanding. There are not new apostles. It's a mistake. It is an error theologically to believe that there's some kind of apostolic succession that goes from Peter to every pope, and every pope speaks infallibly, and the church makes decisions. They're infallible decisions with the same authority as Scripture. We do not believe that. The church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And when you meet a preacher that calls himself an apostle, he's a mistake, he's a mis- he is mistaken, or a fraud. Amen. When I was in Kazakhstan years ago witnessing to some believers, 
and sharing the gospel, I encountered a group in a park, a group that were meeting underneath a shade tree, and they were praying and singing. And I went up to them and encountered them and engaged them and started talking about the gospel with them. And they said, well, we are followers of an apostle from America who came over here. And we believe that he, God speaks through him just like he did the apostles. And we're following him. And I said, no. I said, you don't follow a man. You're to follow Jesus Christ only. And you are to align your life with him in the spirit and in alignment with the word of God, because that's your only authority. And they said, he's not my authority. I said, no, God's word is your authority. And we prayed together. I tried to correct them, a theological error. He says, I am called an apostle. He is not only an apostle, he's a called apostle. Notice what he says. He says in verse number one, he says, I'm a called apostle. Now notice what Paul says in Galatians chapter one. Do you have your Bible? Look with me to Galatians chapter number one. Listen to what Paul says. Paul, verse one, an apostle, not from men or by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Now verse two, and all the brothers are with me to the churches of Galatia. Now, first of all, notice what he says in Galatians 1. He says, I'm an apostle. Second thing he says, not from men, not by man, but by Jesus Christ. No man appointed me to be apostle. I was called by God who raised Christ from the dead. And then he says, I'm writing to you, with all the brothers with me. Now notice, he doesn't call the brothers apostles. He said they are brothers, but they are not apostles. Paul has a unique authority. Look with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 1. This is important, my friends. Please stay with me. 2 Corinthians 1, 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will. And Timothy, our brother. Now notice what he says. I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus by what? God's will. And then he says, and Timothy. I'm writing this letter also with Tim. Timothy was his son in the ministry. Timothy, arguably, nobody was closer to Paul than Timothy. Yet he doesn't identify Timothy as an apostle. He doesn't say he's my apostle in training. He says he's my brother. You see, Paul was an apostle by the will of God, but Timothy is a brother. We, there is only, Paul is saying this is a unique role that God has called me to. It's not bragging. It's just my call under God. 1 Corinthians 1.1, Paul called as an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Sosthenes, our brother. Here now, Paul's writing the letter, 1 Corinthians, and he says, I'm writing to you, and Sosthenes, our brother, is writing as well. But he doesn't say that Sosthenes is an apostle or apostle in training 
or apostle succeeding me. He is, Paul is, called as an apostle. How? Of Christ Jesus by God's will. What Sosthenes, our brother, he is a brother. You see, Paul is an apostle. He is the least of the apostles, he says. In 1 Corinthians 15, he has been taught by Christ, tutored by Christ, called by Christ, saw the resurrected Christ, trained by Christ, received the gospel from Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 8. Last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, he appeared to me. I'm least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle. Why? Because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, yet not I, but the grace of God was, that was with me. Wow. Paul says, I was called to be an apostle. Now, in Galatians, back, chapter 1, verse number 11, see how all of these, all of these letters help us understand who Paul is. In, first, in Galatians chapter 1, verse 11, For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel preached by me is not of human origin. Where did Paul get his message? I did not receive it from a human source. I was not taught it, but it came how? By a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul was an apostle. The Lord called him. And Paul is writing to Rome, and he's writing to us. And he's writing with a sense of humility. I am a servant and a sense of authority. I am an apostle. Next, he tells us that he is set apart unto the gospel. Notice in this phrase in Romans chapter 1, he says he is set apart unto the gospel of God. Now, here's a bit of a wordplay. And so notice what it says, the word set apart. The word Pharisee means to be set apart. And so what he's saying is, I am of the tribe of Benjamin. I studied in a theological school under Gamaliel. I was a Pharisee, yet a Pharisee means I'm set apart. Pharisees saw themselves as set apart from others. Pharisees saw themselves as set apart from sinners. As a matter of fact, when a Pharisee was walking along the sidewalk and he encountered others that were not of a strict sect like them, they moved to the other side of the road so they didn't get too close to sinners, so they didn't become contaminated by sinners. They were all about rules and regulations and being set apart by the laws of religion. But Paul said, and I am not a Pharisee like that anymore, but I am set apart unto the gospel of God. God has changed me and set me apart. He has chosen me and consecrated me for a purpose. Did you know God chose you? Are you all awake today? Everybody awake, say amen. Good. God has chosen you. Tell the person next to you, you are chosen by God. You know what? God chose you. You didn't become a Christian because you're smart. You came, God did a work of grace in your heart. Amen. And when you were chosen, you've been consecrated. Now, my wife has certain things in our house that are consecrated, and they are only for special use. We will have lunch today. 
it will be on China. I know it's China because it says Chinet paper plates. In one way, I like that because I don't mind doing the dishes. Now, later this afternoon, this evening, we'll have a meal as a family together. And we may use paper plates or we may use glass plates, but they won't be the special consecrated plates. Those are held in a holy place, in a china cabinet, in the dining room. They were given to us as a wedding gift. I can count the number of times they've been used on a few hands. Those are reserved when special people come. Special events. Maybe Christmas. Maybe Easter. Or before she passed, when my mother-in-law came to visit. They were consecrated. You didn't feed the dogs off of those china plates because they were consecrated. They're special. You, my friend, have been called and set apart by Almighty God. And that's exactly what Paul said. I've been set apart, chosen and consecrated. He says, God set me apart. God set me apart for the gospel. Now, you want to know how, when he was set apart? It was God's sovereign plan. God chose Paul. God had a plan for his life. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter number 1, it's kind of that idea that Paul has. In Jeremiah, chapter number 1, notice Jeremiah, chapter number 1, beginning verse number 5. I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Notice, I set you apart when? Before you were what? Is that possible? Is it possible that God would call you and choose you and consecrate you even before you were born? Yes. God is a sovereign God. He has a plan and purpose for all of our lives. Listen to how Paul describes it in the book of Galatians. Look with me in your Bible. In the book of Galatians, chapter number 1. Verse number 15, but when God, who from my mother's womb set me apart and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who had become apostles before me. Instead, I went to Arabia and came back to Damascus. And after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem. He says, listen, God taught me. God called me. God sovereignly selected me. God chose me. God set me apart. God ordained me. And he did it from my mother's womb. Our, our Lord calls us to be his. My father tells me this story, and he didn't tell me this story until I was older in life and felt God's call on my life. 
The year was 1957. It was the year I was born. My parents were college students at Carbondale, at SIU. And right after I was born, my dad went to visit his folks. And my aunt, great aunt, who I never met, was there. And her name is Mabel. And Aunt Mabel, uh, who I did not know, was a well-known, godly, saintly woman. A great woman of prayer. And she was my grandmother's sister. She was dying of cancer, and my grandmother was caring for her in their farmhouse. And she was lying in bed too weak to get up. And my dad brought in a new infant baby boy in his arms. And he said to his Aunt Mabel, who he dearly loved and had a great spiritual influence on his life, he said, Aunt Mabel, I want to show you our little boy. And she, in her bed, sat up for a moment. She took the baby and she touched him. And she said, oh, he's a preacher. And Dad said, what did you say, Aunt Mabel? And she said, God said, he'll be a preacher. My father told me that story the day I was ordained to the gospel ministry. It's precious. God calls you too. God's working in you too. Amen? Amen. Second part of the sermon is the today is what is my message to you? Well, we're going to have to hurry. Notice what he says in our passage for the day. Notice in Romans, he says in verse, the end of verse 1, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand to the prophets in holy scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul says, this is my, these are my credentials, but second thing is, that what is my message? And here's the message. First of all, it's the gospel. Now, it means the gospel, first point is this, the gospel is good news. Amen? It's good news. Listen, this, there's no greater news in all the world than the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Luke's gospel, chapter 2, remember when the angels encountered the shepherds out on the hillside on that first Christmas night, and they, when he appeared to those shepherds, they said, don't be afraid. He said, because I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Born for you this day in the city of David is a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That is the good news. It's good tidings. It's great news. It's cheerful news. It's glad news. It's joy-filled news. It's tidings that make your heart happy. It makes you want to sing and dance and leap for joy. It's the greatest news in all the world that God loves us. What's the greatest news you ever heard in all of your life? It's good news, man. It's awesome news. 
And when you've got good news, you can't help but share it. You want to share it. Part of the gospel, implicit and implied in the gospel, it's newsworthy of sharing and telling other people because it's the greatest news in all the world. I can't think of anything better than that. It's good news. You shouldn't have to control people to talk about their faith. It is good news, and you just want to tell it to everybody. Man, it's awesome. Yesterday, I was downstairs on the back porch, and I was listening to the Cardinal Ball game on the radio. And all of a sudden, there was a commotion, and, and there was some kind of play development. I don't know what it was exactly. And, and, but I was trying to listen to the radio and understand what was happening. And before long, I could hear Christy upstairs. And she opened up the door to the back porch, and she yelled down the steps. She goes, Tim, you got to get up here and see this. I've never seen a double play like this in my life. It was amazing. I went up there and watched all that double play, and I go, that's awesome. Let's rewind it and watch it again. We just kept rewinding it and watching it again and again. It was so fun. It was good news. She wanted to share it. Now, Christy doesn't get excited about sports, usually, but she does about baseball. She adopts every one of those players as their own sons. Can I tell you the greatest news in all the world? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the greatest news you ever heard, the greatest joy in all of your life. And if you're not overjoyed at the gospel of Jesus, I doubt whether you are even a Christian. Amen. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who wrote on this passage in a sermon he said, why are we not thrilled with the good news of Jesus Christ? And he said, number one, I think it's an inadequate realization of our own sinfulness. When we don't understand how sinful we are, then we don't really rejoice. You kind of think, well, I'm okay. I'll be all right. No, I'm not all that bad. I'm kind of a good person, and I don't need that much saving. The problem is you don't understand how messed up and lost and broken you are. They think that somehow they can make themselves right, but that's not it. The greatest single reason that we're not joyful of good news is that we don't understand that you don't earn or work your way to heaven. You have no ability to save yourself. That You don't understand that what Christ did for you, you weren't just messed up. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. You're helpless. You're dead. And if you want to know what you look like, run to the law and read it. Run and see how lost we are, how messed up we are. And we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And we cannot save ourselves. And we're in a grave. We're in a casket. We're dead. We have no hope. And Christ raised us up from the dead and made us alive again. That's good news. And we fail to understand the consequence of our sin. We don't believe in hell. Preachers don't preach about hell. You've got to tear out so much of your Bible not to even believe that. It is a place of eternal punishment. It's not annihilation. It's not limited affliction, and then it's over with. It's not, well, I, I, I may miss heaven, but I'll still enjoy f- hell with all of my friends. No, you won't. 
You won't. Hell is described as a place of utter darkness. You are alone all by yourself with the constant understanding that there's never, ever any hope. It's weeping, it's tormenting, it's gnashing of teeth, it's the end. There's no life, there's no hope. And I know this is not a popular thing to preach, but hell is real. And so is heaven. Yes, Lord. Thank you. Praise God for the good news. Amen. Jesus Christ died for all of my sins and all of yours. Jesus Christ rose again from the dead so you don't have to go to hell. Jesus Christ can cleanse you from all of your sins and make you clean inside and out and write your name in heaven and you have the hope of eternal life, everlasting life. You are redeemed, you're adopted, you're a child of God and he's made you new. He lifted you, not from just being despairing. He lifted you from death Amen. and gave you life. My sin, my sin, my sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, the whole thing is nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. Amen. I'm having a fit right here. It's the gospel. It's the good news. What's the origin of the gospel? It's the gospel of God, he says. It's the gospel of God. Somehow we have this bad idea that God is up in heaven looking, really doesn't love us that much, and he just wants to look for us messing up so he could just snuff us all out. And Jesus, his son, is compassionate, and he comes along and says, oh, let me beg with you, Father, not to, not to wipe them all out. That's not right. You're saved because God loves you. The gospel's from God himself. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loves you. God has demonstrated his own love for you. And while you were at sinners, Christ died for you. God was in the world reconciling. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. It's attested by Scripture. Romans 3.21 says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets through faith. In chapter 4, verse number 1, what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. The Scripture is fulfilled in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's attested, the good news is attested to us by Scripture. First Corinthians 15, 3 says, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and rose again the third day according to the Scripture. Jesus teaches the boys on the road to Emmaus after the resurrection that Christ must suffer. He is showing them from all of the scriptures, the gospel. It's attested by scripture. Notice what he says in this passage, Romans 1. It is the substance of the gospel, verse 3, concerning his son, Jesus our Lord. The gospel is all about Jesus. 
Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Lord, Master, and King. He is a descendant of David according to the flesh. Yes, as a man, he took upon human flesh, and he was in the lineage of David, the King, King David. And prophecy said a Messiah, a ruler, a king, would come from the lineage of David. Jesus was born as a man in the lineage of David. Matthew's genealogy shows us this, right? But listen, listen, he is not only a man, and not only did he live, and not only is a Messiah, he is appointed son of God. He is not just an earthly king. He is the son of God. And how would we don't know this? By the power of the Holy Spirit in his resurrection from the dead. There is no other man who ever was died and defeated death and rose again. That's Jesus Christ alone. And he is king of kings and Lord of lords. That's the substance of the gospel. The purpose of the gospel is that we might be obedient in faith. Notice what he says. Notice what he says to bring about, verse 5, the obedience of faith. Finally, I must conclude. What is the goal of the gospel? Verse 5, for the sake of his name among the Gentiles. Jesus Christ saved you for the sake and the glory of his name. Can somebody say amen? amen? John Stott wrote, The highest of all missionary motives is neither obedience to the Great Commission, as important as that is, nor the love for sinners who are alienated and perishing, strong as that is, especially when you consider the wrath of God, but rather zeal, burning, passionate zeal for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's Paul's gospel. Isn't that good news? Now the question for you today, as our praise, as we're getting ready to take the Lord's Supper, I want you to consider these questions. Have you received the good news of Jesus Christ? Have you? Are you rejoicing in the salvation that he has provided for you? Have you come to personally trust him, to know him, to turn away from your sin and cast yourself on him? He loves you. And to know his love, to know his forgiveness, to know his healing in your life, his adoption and making you a child of God, and the hope that gives us eternal life. This hope is available for you today. And you can know him today by turning from sin and trusting in Christ. We're going to take the Lord's Supper together today in just one second. As we do, I'm asking you to come, and as you take these elements, you're saying, Lord, I'm trusting Christ as my Savior. I know that I've sinned, and I believe Jesus died on the cross, paid for all my sins, and I'm remembering that today. And when I drink this cup of juice, I'm remembering that Christ shed his blood on the cross for all of my sin. 
And I'm thanking you, God, and I'm trusting in you. Father, have your way in our hearts and our lives. Father, if there's one person here that doesn't know Christ, I pray that today they might turn from sin and trust in him. In Jesus' name, amen.